Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. Welcome to episode 42 of Counterthought. This week marks the end of the fourth week of the Russia-Ukraine war. And last week, as the third week was wrapping up, I started to think about what should the U.S. involvement be in foreign conflict? For four weeks now, we have seen day after day after day after day after day of news reports and pundits talking about in the State Department and Department of Defense and the Pentagon and the um, White House press briefing room from everywhere talking about the U.S. involvement in the Ukraine-Russia war. Talking about, you know, the U.S. is a NATO NATO country, so we are not getting involved because Ukraine is not part of NATO. Russia is not part of NATO, so we are not going to actively send troops, the United States or any NATO ally, until, or if, only if, a NATO ally is fired upon. Until the NATO borders are crossed, Article 5 will not be enforced, and the U.S. will not be sending troops. But in the meantime, as far as mitigation goes, the United States and other NATO allies have been sending defense and money and other weapons, munitions, guns, missiles, defense mechanisms, and so on and so forth over to Ukraine for them to defend themselves, even though they aren't a part of NATO. So that begs the question, what should our involvement be? Ukraine wants to be part of NATO. We know this. They want to be part of the European Union. But why are we sending munitions and arming the Ukraine military? And we've been doing this for years now. This isn't something this isn't something new. This is something that we've been doing since 2014, I believe, and and before. But why why are we doing this if they aren't an ally of ours? Is it purely because they border Russia and to keep Russia at bay? Because if that's the case, under this presidency, that has all gone for naught. So what benefit is there for the United States to be sending millions or billions of dollars to Ukraine? Billions of dollars in aid and defense funding to Ukraine. Have you thought about that? Because I've been thinking about that more and more. We have seen people argue and say, hey, we need to be sending troops to end this because what is happening to the Ukrainian people is an atrocity. And I agree, that is an atrocity. More than three and a half million Ukrainians are now refugees. Two thirds of them are going into Poland. Poland's total population has increased by about, I believe, 10% just due to the Ukrainian refugees that have crossed into their into their country. And Poland is, is welcoming them. They are also asking for help from other NATO countries. So that's a testament to, to Poland and to NATO. 
But to my knowledge, the United States hasn't taken any. Maybe that's because there would be too, too much of a lifestyle change, right? Poland borders Ukraine. The United States does not border Ukraine. A lot of Polish people, a lot of Polish people might speak Ukrainian or Russian and understand and be able to translate more easily than a Ukrainian coming here to the United States of America. But what should the U.S. involvement be? Should we stop what we're doing? Should we even be doing what we're doing? Should we be getting more involved? The U.S., as you may be aware, has a history of getting itself involved in foreign conflicts, whether it be to fight an ideology that we do not agree with, or for economic reasons, for geopolitical reasons, for to save those, to save people of other countries who are subject to genocide. And some of those wars that we've been involved in are World, World War I. World War One had 100,000 troops die. The Korean War in the 50s, 50,000 troops died. The Vietnam War in the 60s had 50,000 troops die. Bosnia-Herzegovina, when I was in middle school, was a peacekeeping effort. Kosovo War, also when I was in middle school, was to stop genocide. And did you know in Kosovo... U.S. troops remain, about 750 U.S. troops remain. 22 years later, do we really need to have troops there? I don't know. But I feel like we, we should know or we should at least be thinking about it. And we have, I believe, over 30,000 troops in Japan or Korea, South Korea, to deter North Korea from, um, from invading South Korea. So that can be to our benefit, but how involved should we be across the globe? Right now, the United States has more than 200,000 troops spread across the globe. Troops in Europe, Asia, and Africa. We have various alliances and partnerships. We have more partnerships than we have alliances. Our chief alliance is NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, that's comprised of 30 countries as it stands today and an alliance is a formal agreement between two or more countries two or more nations and in national defense they promise to support one another particularly during war nato also has um, involvement with economics of each country nato was formed after world war ii for peace cooperation and freedom among its members for the initial 12 members. And like I said, it's now up to 30. It wants to promote democracy, liberty, and the rule of law. There are rules and requirements that have to be met by different, by, by countries who want to join NATO. Like I said, democracy, you can't be a dictatorial country, can't have communism. And the primary benefit of NATO or the prime, or yeah, I guess so. Primary benefit would be the if you attack one of us, you attack all of us, and that's known as Article Five, and that's been talked about a ton during this Ukraine Russia war. If Pol if the if you if Russia crossed Poland's borders, that invokes Article Five, 
and U.S. troops going to be sent over there to be involved in this war, to fight in this war. But are we doing, are we instigating Russia to where Russia and Putin are going to feel justified to cross maybe Poland's borders or another NATO country's borders to draw in the United States? That remains to be seen. But did you know that the United States, when we're talking about military defense, spends over $700 billion in 2022? That is the funding that is what's allocated to our defense budget. Seven, over $700 billion. Do you want to know the next highest amount of all the different of all the various countries across the world? Two hundred billion, and that would be by China. China also has about two billion people, whereas America has only three hundred thirty three hundred thirty five million people. After China is India, after India, I believe is Russia. And it's not until you get down to fifth or sixth on the overall list when you finally see another NATO country, which is the United Kingdom. Then after the United Kingdom, it's like Germany and then France. But you have to go fifth or sixth down the list to see another NATO country. Now you might think, well, I mean, per capita, you know, that kind of makes sense because China is so big, India is so big, Russia is so big. Well, the U.S. spends roughly... $2 billion per 1 million citizens on defense spending. The only other country in those top five, top 10 that spends maybe a one-to-one -one ratio is Great Britain, which is why Great Britain is probably our closest, well, more historical reasons, but as far as NATO goes in military defense, Great Britain is our strongest ally, I would say. France is probably about 750,000 or, or 750, yeah, thousand per 1 million. You know, it, it just doesn't compare. Or 700, yeah, 750 million, I would say. Yeah, I think that, that's the math that calculates per million. So is NATO really benefiting the United States? Do we need to be the world police? I mentioned some of the wars that we've been involved in where we were not directly attacked to, you know, justify sending troops and fighting in a war. World War One, over 100,000 deaths. Was it worth it? Korean War, 50,000 deaths. Was that worth it? Again, fight off communism, fight off communism. Vietnam War to fight off communism, 50,000 dead. Was that worth it? Bosnia-Herzegovina, we didn't really lose any troops, thankfully. But that was a peacekeeping effort. Do we need to go in there? Kosovo War stopped genocide. I can see that, like we're, we're helping people. But the U.S. for a long, long time has been seen as the world police. And is that the role that we should be playing? Is it good for the United States? Does it benefit the United States, not just in, in casualties and loss of life, but does it benefit the United States economically, politically, geopolitically? Our sphere of influence, does it benefit us, as someone say, to stick our noses in other people's business? Or 
just like with Afghanistan, now that we are withdrawn from Afghanistan, was that the right move? Should we just let other countries basically crumble and not do anything about it? Just watch them burn, basically, for lack of a better term. Just self-destruct. Or does it best serve us to get involved militarily to fight on behalf of these countries that we view have some sort of benefit to our country? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. to be fair. But should we be the world police? Does it benefit us to be the world police? Or is there just a big military industrial complex to where we're going to get involved whether we need to or not? Looking over here at my notes. Proactive peacekeeper. That's kind of what I titled it. Should we be a proactive peacekeeper? The argument there is if we just let countries do whatever they want and self-destruct, so to speak, or be overrun by by a group within the country to overtake, let's say, a political party, a, a government that's already in place, be overthrown like a mutiny or a coup or what have you, should we let that country just, should we just let that happen? Or should we proactively intervene because we believe that the effects of not interacting is going to be more costly than us being proactive. And we see, and we, we face this decision, right. in in our normal daily life, if you want to kind of, kind of make it more relatable, should we do, should we do proactive repairs and maintenance on our cars, our trucks, our SUVs in order to avoid a more expensive cost later on down the road? You know, should we every three to 5,000 miles, depending on your, your oil, get your, get your oil changed? Should you, you know, get the, the fluids flushed out of your vehicle every 30,000 or 60,000 miles, whatever, whatever it is for your vehicle? Should you do X? Should you do Y? Or should you just ride it out? Save yourself that, save yourself that money at at that time, you know, not pay a hundred dollars for, for a fluid flush, not pay $60 or whatever for an oil change. Should you just let it go until something bad happens and then pay that expense at that time? That's like the proactive peacekeeper. Is it best to be involved now? Because it's going to be, it's going to save us in the end. Should we maintain a relationship? Should we strengthen a a partnership, an alliance, in order to avoid the catastrophic, potentially catastrophic downfall in the end? Or should we be hands-off until fired upon? Like I said, we've had this NATO agreement since after the World War. So coming up on 75 years, I think it, it was put in place in 1949. So we're coming up on the 75 year mark here in a couple of years, but should we be hands off until fired upon world war two Pearl Harbor justified, right? Afghanistan war justified world war one. We weren't fired upon 
Korean War, not fired upon. Vietnam War, not fired upon. Bosnia-Herzegovina, not fired upon. Kosovo, I will leave Kosovo out because that was to stop genocide. And I, I agree we need to get in there and save people, which as the argument being made here for the Ukraine-Russia war, right? All these Ukrainians and, and the war crimes that Putin is committing by kill, killing citizens of Ukraine. They're supposed to be off limits, especially women and children. Unless you are fighting, you are you are supposed to be off limits in, in the international war laws, laws of war, rules of war, rules of engagement. So some argue that we could be justified going into Ukraine just to just to stop that. But we are doing the, I guess, the most we can do without provoking Putin in that war. Because the fear is that it will start World War Three. It could be Russia with, I mean, yeah, Russia with China, with Syria, with Iran joining together in other countries in the Middle East versus NATO, Japan, Australia, and a few other countries against against them. Not to mention nuclear weapons, right? So we're trying to avoid nuclear warfare. But should we be hands-off until fired upon whenever it doesn't involve attacks on civilians, when it doesn't involve genocide and, and the like? Because right now we are NATO's chief deterrent. I would say that one of the reasons why no NATO country has been attacked since World War II is because the United States and that NATO agreement, the United States has bolstered what now is the 29 countries. Again, it started off with 12. We spend 2022, our budget for military is over $700 billion. All the other NATO countries combined do not, <laughs> do not even come close to that. Not even close. So everyone, it seems like you could argue, relies on us. But are we getting our benefit? We heard during the Trump administration, during his presidency, you know, he went over to NATO and he ticked some people off. He ticked a lot of people off within the, within the NATO countries, the different prime ministers and presidents and so on and so forth, by saying, hey, you know, you guys aren't paying your fair share. We're supposed to be paying 2 or 3% of the GDP of your country, and you're not doing that. You are not doing that. And these other countries, you know, we're kind of, kind of got shook a little bit and we're thinking, well, you know, we don't want the United States to leave there. <laughs> there are protection. And yes, we are. But what if the United States left NATO? What if we didn't have these other alliances, these other partnerships? What if we just were by ourselves and didn't intervene unless we were fired upon? What would the world look like then? Is the United States, I mean, we are the superpower. Are we also the glue that holds everything together? If the United States backed away and we just kept to ourselves and minded our business in, unless we were fired upon, would these other countries that we currently have alliances with, would they? are they at risk of being overthrown, their governments being overthrown? Are we at risk of those countries then coming to attack us and us being outnumbered? 
Could we be outnumbered? To me, these are all worth these are all questions that we should be we should be asking as we are witnessing this Ukraine Russia war. Because we are this close, this close, I believe, from having to send troops over there. And being in what seems to be this perpetual state of war, I went through that list. We had a war in, in the teens, right? World War One. World War II was in the 40s. Korean War in the 50s. Vietnam in the 60s. We had the um, Persian Gulf War in the late 80s to early 90s. Bosnia-Herzegovina, that was the, the mid-90s. Iraq War, Afghanistan War, early 2000s, all the way until 2021. And now there's this Ukraine-Russia war, which is just one one missile away from, from invoking Article 5 for NATO and U.S. troops being deployed to Ukraine or to Russia. That's basically 80 years past, 75 years have gone by, and we would have been in conflict for about 50 of them. Does that best serve our country? I don't really know one way or the other, but I'm just asking these questions because it seems like if we are always going to be the peacekeeper, we will never not be involved in a foreign conflict. And are these foreign conflicts best serving our country? This podcast is about conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Being America's peacekeeper, being proactive instead of reactive, is that best serving our individual freedom here as as a sovereign nation? I don't know. I don't know, but I think these questions need to be asked because, again, it seems like we are in this perpetual state of, of war, whether directly or indirectly. And lives are lost when war occurs. And is it to our benefit to send our brothers and sisters, our children, over to fight a war that in a lot of cases really isn't ours to fight? Questions need to be asked. And not just for this Russia-Ukraine war, but moving forward. What best serves our country? What best serves the United States of America while also protecting those who are being persecuted, killed, murdered, war crimes against them? I think that would be the one carve-out that I would be okay with if we were to, if we were to say to pull back and not play peacekeeper. It would be to intervene to save the innocent lives of citizens of various of countries who are involved in conflict. However that looks, as minimal troops as possible. But what's, what best serves us? That's what I want to know. Or that's what I'm contemplating, I should say, as this fourth week of the Ukraine-Russia war is coming to an end. What best serves the United States? We're one missile away from Article 5 being invoked with NATO and troops being put back on the ground less than a year after withdrawing from Afghanistan, which was a 20-year war. 
and 50 of the past 75 years, we have been involved in some type of war. Is it time to take a break? Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube. And engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at counterthought CEO or on Facebook at counterthought podcast.